Hi everyone, it is my pleasure to welcome you all to our online webinar today. We are delighted that you have joined us from different parts of the world and thank you for your time and interest in this event. Today's webinar is designed to provide you with valuable insights into drug discovery and early research. Eugenio Fava will share his knowledge and experience on this topic and I hope you will find the session informative, stimulating and inspiring. We thank you for your participation and hope you find this webinar insightful and useful. Let's get started. It is my great pleasure to welcome Eugenio Fava, who joins me today in the Selima Talks series to talk about drug discovery. Hello, Eugenio. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you, Stefan, for the invitation here. Thank you again for uh, agreeing to this interview. I'm very happy that today's date worked out, and I appreciate that you took the time out of your busy schedule today. Eugenio, you are an enthusiastic and experienced scientist with a deep knowledge of neuroscience and drug discovery. Your research is specialized in neuroscience, and you have a strong interest in integrating high-content data with computational and research technologies to develop new methods for application cell biology and also in early drug discovery. Can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in these topics and about your scientific background? Yes, uh, I'm a biologist in education with a PhD in molecular toxicology. And... Um... How to become interested in this, it was uh, starting with microscopy and the digitalization of microscopy. So when biology started to, to become quantitative and not only qualitative, I understood that was this was in the 90s, late 90s, uh, that this was revolutionized the way that we look uh, to cells in the microscope. And then on top of this one, uh, in, when I was then later in my career, I understood also the, the development of laboratory automation that gave us the possibility not only to have quantitative biology, but to have scale up the, the, the experimental uh, layout. And then I ended up at the early phase of the high content uh, discovery at that stage. I was still in the UK when I, I was using one of the first Salomic machines that was sold at the time. Uh, and I moved then more and more in this high content and phenotypic approach, cell-based approach, and applied this more and more, not only in understanding disease uh, mechanisms, but also really for drug development and drug discovery. Um, and uh, so far, we have now here in the Disney with a full platform for drug discovery that is fully automated with uh, advanced uh, image and data analysis. And we try to make use of this one to, to tackle neurodegenerative diseases that are largely still uh, not therapeutically treatable in a sort of way. So we try to see what we can do there. This is an exciting story. Thank you for sharing it with us. Um, brings me to my first question. Mm -hmm. What is the definition of drug discovery? What are the steps that are involved in drug discovery? And what are the advantages and disadvantages? Uh, drug discovery has many, uh, many aspects. So, uh, drug discovery, in my opinion, it starts with understanding the disease uh, and understanding the mechanisms that, that are uh, key to the development, to the onset and development of the disease, um, and then identify targets that are critical and druggable, 
um, and then develop more uh, insights for the future of the drug development afterwards. But drug discovery means also new chemistry, uh, new technology as well. So our innovating technology can help drug discovery uh, and then thinking about all the, the different application from artificial intelligence now that we might touch later. Uh, but there is a constant development and also technological development from instrumentation to analysis of data. So though those aspects are all included in drug discovery, in my opinion. So that's a really, but the key element is really understanding the disease and the mechanism of the disease. And especially, for example, in our field, neurodegenerative diseases are still challenging understanding the exact uh, uh, mechanism of the disease is not yet clear, especially, for example, take Alzheimer's disease. We, we studied the disease for more than 100 years, and still we have not really a complete revision of what is going on in, in this development of the disease. Um, what is the difference between drug discovery and drug development? Can you explain a bit about that? Yeah, my opinion is that they are, I mean, why drug discovery, as I told you, it's really understanding the, the biology behind, understanding the human biology behind, understanding all the, the different aspects, but also have a technology and innovation. Drug development is much more focused in bringing the drug to clinical trials. So that means for me, drug development is, it starts after that you find your eight candidates and that you start to verify which of the eight candidates can become a lead candidate. And that means uh, all the admit study, all the efficacy data and potency and uh, all the analysis, that for me is what is the classical drug development that take a long time, but is much more, if you want, technical uh, and uh, aim to really to, to isolate one uh, chemical compound that can have a success in clinical phase. It's very critical as well because all the study that you do at this level also for the drug development will influence the output in the clinical trial. And, uh, and we know that uh, clinical trial phase two normally is the most critical, uh, but definitely there are two different phases. The drug, the, the drug discovery, it is earlier, understanding all the disease why the drug development come at a later time point with all this admin study, toxicology and everything else that is a formulation, everything that is beyond the real uh, drug discovery part. Regina, um, what are the tools for meaningful drug discovery? And how can we efficiently find a new chemical structure that will successfully cure a disease given the enormous number of compounds that need to be tested? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that uh, in the past there was this brute force approach where there were libraries of uh, three, four million compounds that have been screened. I think uh, this is largely now overcome by other techniques, of course. I mean, there are different aspects to have. Uh, that, I mean, there is one, one side chemistry. In my opinion, chemistry is somehow limited because the synthesis capacity of complex molecules is not definitely easy. Even if there are interesting development, for example, use of artificial intelligence and automated synthesis that now start to generate really interesting compounds that normally would not have been designed by normal chemistry, and this can overcome. I am a strong uh, believer, I like very much to work with uh, natural compounds because I think nature is uh, 
power in chemistry that we don't have it, but definitely, of course, then some of the structures are very complex to replicate in the synthesis laboratory. But I like, for example, to work what we call semi-synthetic uh, uh, compounds, so backbone coming from natural compounds uh, that, that can be synthesized and then used for screening. But the chemistry has a larger a large component in the discovery because at the moment it, it is the key element to get the the, uh, the good candidate afterwards. And this chemical space increase is definitely a key. Other key elements are how relevant are the system or the assay that you use to your human pathology. Um, more and more we drifted to, to use of uh, human primary cells or stem cells derived uh, cells. For example, we like to work a lot with the phenotypic assay because we think that even if it's difficult on the target, because it's a target agnostic approach, but it still resembles a system level of complexity in our cells. And uh, I think that's important. Uh, a famous uh, German scientist, virtual in Berlin, uh, some last two centuries ago was telling that every pathology is a cell pathology and that we believe that it's still valid at the end of the day we have cell pathology that it just then go to to the human pathology so having the cell as a system it's much more indicative the challenge in this case then is to make the deconvolution for the target and the mechanism of action but i think with the actual techniques it's possible to do this kind of uh, approaches especially with the artificial intelligence and the data that are available now is really getting more and more feasible to have this approach. Uh, all this, this together might help to, to increase the output of the drug discovery and not only the output, but also the translation to the clinical phases that is getting easier, hopefully. So you can discover side effect or efficacy level uh, at very early stage rather than getting at the clinical stage and then discover that your molecule is not efficient or is not uh, uh, does a side effect so there are many things that can help in this this bottleneck to ease the bottleneck there do you think that drug repurposing can be used to shorten the drug discovery process yes and no so of course it, it is <laughs> so it is uh, um, it is being tempted by many of the uh, company to repurpose drug uh, and I think that there is a value in doing this one, of course, uh, but there are also obstacles. I mean, many companies do not have interest in doing this one either for IP uh, issues, um, but definitely there is a value to understand uh, uh, the, the, the application of some of the drugs that are already in commerce to other pathology. Um, Rather than repurposing what I like, it is the new trend that also the authorities like the Food and Drug Administration are sponsoring more and more this real world evidence uh, in clinical trials, especially. So where you can derive information from different uh, digitalization processes from health records to clinical trials, and then get really input from the real world. So from drugs that are in use or even non-drug, but just the behavior or other medication that, that patients can get in a different way. And then extract this information and try to understand if a given drug can be repurposed in a way that it's more significant. And I think some, some of the results are coming and this, see the trends increasing. Uh, I see that this, this real world evidence is definitely getting more and more present 
in the drug discovery. And I expected in the next year to become a part, a, a, an essential part, at least at the clinical level, for understanding more where the drugs are coming and where they are yeah. going. Um, Eugenio, you're working in the German Center of Neurogenerative Diseases, which is an academic institution. What is the role of academic institutions in drug discovery, and how does this role differ from the role of pharmaceutical companies? Uh, I think, and I always believe, I mean, I will always working in academia. So my, my career has been always in different institutes, but in academia. Uh, but I collaborate with several pharmaceutical company during my, and I like to have this, this part. I think one aspect it is academia should, should and must be focused more in what is drug discovery component. So, the, the, and to innovate in there. And, they, and the academia can innovate in different ways, starting from the understanding of the disease. That's what we try to do, for example, for neurodegenerative diseases here in Bonn. Um, but also to, to innovate technology, uh, to innovate at, at each level, from microscopy to artificial intelligence to, to develop. Because that's the role that academia can do and must do. And the industry does, but it does in a different way. So in a sort of way, industry has more focus on the on the mission that the industry specifically has for the branch where they are in, in integrating and interested in there. But the academia can be done more freely and can also interact with more to disciplinary level. But a key role is really understanding the biology of the disease. Many of the diseases are still not completely clear. And uh, that's our role. Or oh, identify new target, for example. We have a shortcut in kind targets. If you look at the, at the food and drug approved drugs, I think that there is maximum 1,000 targets that are, that are at the moment known, um, despite a, a, a proteome that is probably hundreds of thousands of proteins. So there is still a lot of potential in there. And that's also another role that academia can have in identifying new targets. We started recently an initiative to, to increase, especially in CNS, uh, the, the discovery of new targets, and uh, innovating in all aspects of the drug discovery part. Of course, we play also a role in drug development, so we have all chain for doing that. But in this case, I see that academia can interact with the pharmaceutical world, because the pharmaceutical world is the professional work that knows all the regulatory aspects and has all the chemistry and everything. And I see the benefits to have more this translation of the discovery part to the translational part to industry. And that's also a role that the academia can play. And I think that is not yet fully utilized to have a more uh, strategic interaction with pharma company. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you're looking at the entire drug discovery process, what are the biggest challenges that the researchers are facing? <laughs> the different... Uh, one is, I, I mentioned already, is the lack of targets, of course. So we are we are targeting always the usual suspects. Huh? So we, we need to to understand more. But this goes end in end with what I say already, understanding of the disease. I mean, if you take cancer, uh, oncology, it's uh, very well developed. But if you take many other diseases, we are still have really large issues in understanding all the molecular mechanisms of action, the, the biology behind and to understand this one. Chemistry is another another aspect that I think you need to be improving um, to enlarge the chemical space in a more intelligent way uh, that can be helping. 
and having models and assays that are, that are representing the human biology. There are also other specific aspects, for example, in CNS, especially in neurodegenerative in particular, there is lack of biomarkers, largely. So in this case, there, there is the need to integrate more clinical science also at the early stage of drug discovery to understand the biomarker, uh, to evaluate if the therapeutic intervention that you want to do is effective or not at the end of the day. Uh, those are, I think, that the major area where there is at the moment issues that need mm -hmm. to be tackled, and there is room to improve for sure. Mm. Um, you already mentioned a number of indications. Which indications benefit most from the different approaches to drug discovery? Well, working in CNS, I think that there is a large margin to improve all the neurodegenerative treatments, from Parkinson to Alzheimer to Huntington. There is practically almost nothing for multiple sclerosis, other treatment. I mean, multiple sclerosis, the recent things in Parkinson, the recent things. Alzheimer recently, we saw some development, but still there is a large room to improve in the CNS area. And uh, I think also the metabolic uh, diseases is uh, large improvement there possible, uh, but also inflammatory component. I mean, inflammation is emerging more and more as a, a key central role on many diseases. This can be can go from liver disease or to obesity and other things. And I think also in inflammation there might be a lot of uh, a lot of room to improve. Uh, oncology, I think, is pretty much uh, developed. It's uh, probably the most developed, but still, also in there there is immune oncology. Uh, there, there is a lot of space also to there, there are many diseases that can benefit from, from increasing the drug discovery and drug development pipeline for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what is the most promising area of drug discovery? I think CNS is still, in my opinion, a frontier, but also the one that offers more opportunity. Uh, that's uh, I do believe. And I think a CNS disease, not only on neurodegenerative disease, but uh, many other aspects like chronic pain or depression or other other disease, there is still room there to, to make really large benefits for the patients. Mm -hmm. Coming from a scientific point of view, going to more technology perspectives now in our interview um, brings me to the next question. What novel or emerging technologies are currently being used in drug discovery? I think that the moment, the, in my opinion, the one where there is largest innovation and largest opportunity is artificial intelligence and the application of artificial intelligence to data uh, obtained for drug development and drug discovery. Uh, we have seen emerging in the last 10 years a lot of technology uh, and we will see more. And that's really start to be a very interesting area of development uh, is already concretely there. There are some of the companies that uh, that are already established that develop. I mean, I think about recursion, pharmaceutical or Accentia, uh, like the two leading company, in my opinion, in this sector. But there is going to be more and more coming up in this field. So this is for you the technology which will have the most significant impact to improve the drug discovery workflow and the outcome? 
is one that is going to revolutionize the way we, we think about drug there for sure, because that will help us to understand what I what again what, what I said before, the disease, because we, we can have a look to integrating more information from clinical to experimental information. Uh, there are possibility to really uh, think differently in this way. But there are also other technology. I mean, I think about the RNA. I mean, with the COVID, we have seen that uh, the RNA therapeutic intervention is now a reality. So I think that there's been massive now use of uh, mRNA vaccination. This is going to be also some things that revolutionize the way that we think about drugs. So we will not think only small molecules, but uh, I'm absolutely sure that in a few years, RNA will be uh, applied for many applications, starting with oncology, uh, but also other applications will emerge. And uh, there are, there are, it's a very exciting time because there are different things happening in the drug discovery uh, panel that will change the paradigm of how we think about drug discovery and drug development. Mm -hmm. um, which of the other technologies out there that are commonly used uh, or novel technologies out there that are commonly used in the labs, in the drug discovery labs, are more nice to have, in your opinion? Well, uh, every, everything is nice to have. It depends on the resources that you have that, to use. But uh, I mean, for example, the 3D um, cell models uh, is now, I don't consider this one as a novel technology. It's already established, especially in oncology, but it's start to be also interesting in different uh, in different aspects like neurobiology itself but this can be and are already a reality and it's always nice if it's possible to flank a model a 3d model to a normal cell model even if the complexity increase and there are some caveats still it is a nice tools in the toolbox definitely um, i think on the hardware and uh, in general for microscopy we have seen quantum leap jump in the last 20 years. Probably we are reaching plateau there, and there are a lot of technologies that are established. A single cell analysis is for sure nice to have. If you have the possibility to understand single cells level, information is always very, very nice to have. There are many technologies that are available for, for really getting contents in, inside your, your, your analysis that, that practically is unlimited at the moment. It's a, Mass spec is getting more and more integrated also, transcriptomic um, itself. So there are many other tools that is nice to add. The core is, in my opinion, is always the cell models and the cell assay that you develop. Uh, around this one, there are many docking technology that, that you can use and it's nice to add around. Eugenio, you already talked about artificial intelligence. What is the role of artificial intelligence in drug discovery? And what is the difference between machine learning and deep learning? Yeah, that's uh, artificial intelligence. Uh, it's very, I mean, artificial intelligence is a big container in containing machine learning, deep learning, and other statistical uh, techniques. Um, all of this, when, uh, when I'm talking about artificial intelligence, uh, I talk everything from image analysis to, to data analysis and data integration. I mean, the first, uh, the first approach, for example, in uh, uh, in eye content screening, if you have an eye content, it is uh, the image analysis. So the deep learning, for example, is revolutionized the way that we do image analysis. Now, very complex um, image setup that a few years ago could not be analyzed. 
now can be analyzed, including also histopathological information, of course, that are very, very interesting information. Uh, but then it goes deeper in the analysis of the data itself obtained by primary experimental data, uh, where you can get a deeper insight, association of different matrices is possible. But what I think artificial intelligence in general is really, really important, it's the integration of different information, uh, ranging from, for example, overlapping the chemical space to the biological space. It's very demanding for human being, but it's very, uh, it, it is possible nowadays to do uh, with artificial intelligence, but also adding additional information like clinical information or more uh, protein level information and merging all this information together we show a different light on the complexity of the biology and will also help in understanding uh, how to deconvolve this complexity to understand what it is the difference between a, a pathological status and a physiological status and try to use this information to reverse the pathology towards physiology. That's, that's what I think the artificial intelligence in general we do at the end and is already there. And um, this is also the way how machine learning and deep learning is using to improve drug discovery, in your opinion? Sure. It is already happening, as mm -hmm. I told you. So we, we see, I mean, for example, target identification will be one of the things that uh, definitely will benefit from this kind of application. And then having more targeting means having more possibility to cure disease. That's in my opinion, it's uh, happening already now. And we will see in the next uh, five to 10 years an uh, explosion on this direction, in my opinion. Do you also think that machine learning and deep learning can be used to predict drug response? To some extent, it's been already proven, yeah. Uh, even if there are still caveats, but definitely there is a level of predictivity. And the more the machine learning and artificial intelligence method we develop, uh, the better will be uh, the prediction. Uh, what I think that is more necessary, especially from academia level, is to get uh, a more common effort to, to tackle this problem. At the moment, uh, there is a bit of disconnection uh, and there are interdisciplinary difficulties. I mean, you have to work from the biology, but also from the computer science, data science, mathematicians. Is There is the need to develop, for example, special curriculum in the university to have really this information merge it together in a team or in a single person education. Um, but it's coming, so it for sure it will come. And yes, it will help to, to, to speed up the drug discovery. Absolutely, in my opinion. And how can these applications and neural networks coming from machine learning and deep learning be used to study disease progression? And this, this is the problem with the clinical information. So. Uh, technically, it's possible to do it right now. Um, the problem is uh, all the regulatory and data privacy aspects from the clinical information at the moment are an obstacle, if you want, to, to integrate it. I mean, how to make a multi-site clinical trial and share information across different scientists to understand, for example, the clinical trajectory of Alzheimer's disease, it is a challenge at the regulation level. So I think that in this case, there is the need and there is also the need to, to go and talk to regulatory affairs or to the authorities and try to find a common solution to, at the end of this, may, make benefit for the patients because that's a thing that at the moment is an obstacle. So the, the regulatory 
uh, I understand that data privacy is important, but there should be a way to, to solve these issues so that more science can be done at this level. Because if we want to understand the disease, we have to work with patients. And actually, it's in the interest also of the patients to get a better treatment, and we should make a win-win situation out of this one. But this, we need some discussion and some time to, to change uh, regulation. But definitely, AE, artificial intelligence, is now making this possible. So there should be a discussion going on on this, for sure. And I guess this is also true if you want to use this machine learning, deep learning neural networks to be used to improve drug safety and efficacy. Absolutely. The same things is applying. Mm -hmm. Even if for drug safety, there are many databases already available. For example, there is a, a drug adversary, adversary drug reaction database from the, for the drug administration that is available. But of course, it would be nice to have more information on the, on the patients itself. And at the moment, it is limited. So we need to, to understand which kind of input we want to put in the artificial intelligence. So an artificial intelligence method is working always with the same principle. It is as good as the data that you feed to the system. Uh, the more data and the, the better the data, the better are the outcome. Huh? So I think everybody at the moment talk about chat, uh, GPT. Uh, this system has been trained with uh, an enormous amount of data to generate still inexact, not completely exact uh, uh, output. And the same is valid also if you want to apply this method to, to drug discovery. The better the data, the more curated the data, the better will be the results of the, the system. And what data is needed to feed machine learning and deep learning networks for an efficient drug discovery process? I think that there are three different main areas of data, in my opinion. One is definitely the experimental data from the biology side. One aspect is the chemistry and more chemistry data, quantitative data from chemistry structure to overlap the biology and, uh, and the chemistry and the clinical data. So clinical relevant data from patients, from clinical study, uh, but also from uh, real world evidence uh, coming more and more together. So that's that's the three area where I see the, the most interesting overlap. Eugenio, you already talked about the advantages of three-dimensional cell models. Um, and you also mentioned that this is a well-established technology, but somehow these cell models have become a prominent focus over the last few months. How can the 3D models be used in drug discovery? And what are the challenges when using them, especially when you have to deal with miniaturized and fully automated um, applications? Yeah, it is established technology, in my opinion especially in oncology, has been extensively used. I mean, of course, there is an advantage to have a 3D model that you resemble more physiologically uh, a tumor, for example, um, rather than having a 2D layers on a plastic that is not exactly the most physiological uh, model that you can have. Uh, however, in my opinion, any model has limitation and any model has advantages. Um, 3D gives this complexity of the cell-cell interaction in, in a more structured way, but it brings also complication for analysis, for example, very complex data sets um, to analyze with microscopy, for example. It brings also uh, relatively complex physiological uh, limitation, for example. There is no vascularization normally in a 3D model, so that means you get a very hypoxic 
uh, core of the, the organoids and, and this complicated uh, the, the life, but still, uh, what, what is good in a 3D model or a 2D plus model, what I say, is that you can do co-culture. You can put the different systems together. And this, of course, is benefit because then you start to get really close to the physiology, uh, to what cells interact. I mean, things about the brain, if you use only neurons, is not a brain. A brain is much more complex. There is astrocytes, microglia, oligodentrocytes. So rebuilding a 3D structure is, uh, in this case, an advantage. Um, we have, for example, developed recently a, a blood brain barrier model based on uh, human derived uh, cells from stem cells that it's resembling very much the physiological condition of the human brain. And that's also a model that is very important. I mean, we see now, for example, that there is the treatment for uh, Alzheimer's disease with antibody that is becoming a reality. But we do know also that uh, these treatments are caveats. For example, one third of the patients develop uh, edema. That means the blood brain barrier has a play in this one. And now we can predict now, for example, can we use this model to predict which antibodies in which patients treat edema and what we can do to avoid that? Because I mean, of course, if you want to treat a patient and you get the brain edema, is not exactly what, what you want. Um, there, are, there are the advantages of using 3D models, so that's for sure. Um, they get closer to the physiology. That's one one of the of the advantages, in my opinion. Do you see the use of these three D models mainly in the early drug discovery process, or better in later stages of the drug development processes? My opinion is more in the late stage, yes, uh, where you can really model a more complex uh, system to predict eventually adverse effects that are never. Uh, never good when you go to clinical trial, and also to predict efficacy. So that, that's, I think, where, where the 3D model, in my opinion, uh, was promising. Thought there has been recently, for example, a publication where uh, 3D model organoids reimplanted in a rat brain have been shown to reintegrate within the brain, so to innervate and vascularize and get integrated in there. So 3D models of organoids uh, can eventually become interesting also as a real medical application, so for regenerative medicine. And that's still at, at the beginning, uh, but it will develop more and more, in my opinion, as well. Um, when we talk about three-dimensional cell models, I think everybody in the audience will have a different picture in her or his mind. And um, what do you think, Eugenia? Which cell models are available and which can be used very efficiently for drug screening? Well, there are available many cell models. So that's, uh, I think that every, as, as, again, every model has limitation and advantages. My personal opinion is that getting closer to human is important. Uh, we use mainly only primary cells, either uh, from the immune system or stem cells, derived cells from human material. And getting close also to the clinical, we get also material from patients, so either mutation or other things. And I think this is the advantage. So if I will start, if I will be a young scientist today starting to, to make a career in drug uh, discovery, I will definitely focus to human material and, uh, and get close as much as the, to the clinic is possible, so to the pathology. 
that's my advice definitely yeah is this also the main difference between three-dimensional cell models and conventional two-dimensional cell models that are used in drug discovery i mean yes it is uh, two-dimensional models are fast that's the advantages so you can for example use this one for uh, identify it candidates in a very fast way. Um, my approach is always start uh, as simple as possible and then get the complication through the way. Uh, so I, our philosophy, uh, my philosophy is always start with the easiest assay that it's uh, normally a 2D assay uh, that is stable and it's uh, routinely used and then get uh, as soon as you start to discover more and reduce your, your it candidates to, to an arrow, then start with the complexities in the biology and getting more 3D models and other models that are coming later. Um, also tissue-like models can be interesting, but uh, complication of this complex system is not suitable for me for screening, for example, in my opinion. Even if in oncology has been shown that it's possible, but it's very demanding still is technically and uh, is an effort to do screening in 3D models. But if one decides to use 3D models in drug discovery, especially for screening, what are the factors that should be considered when developing three-dimensional cell models for this purpose? Reproducibility, reproducibility and reproducibility. Uh, so it's the variation of this kind of assay, in my opinion, is still very high. And uh, it is a very dangerous field you have to be sure that your assay is fully validated to the extent that you can trust that you can repeat the same results uh, across long spanning time um Eugenio, you already mentioned patient derived cells what is the role of stem cells and patient derived cells in three-dimensional cell models for drug discovery especially when you compare them to traditionally used attenuated two-dimensional cell models? I mean, that's getting closer to the pathology. So especially if you have a genetic uh, disease, that's very, very interesting to see getting closer there. Um, it it gives you uh, the next hook for the clinical phase in a sort of way. So you can really, but again, this goes together also with other tools like biomarkers or other things that you can develop. Uh, at the end of the day, it is the drug development in this case. It needs to, to take in consideration other aspects. So can you use, for example, the, the stem cells derived from patients to develop a biomarker that then reliably will give you the output of your uh, clinical trials? Uh, and can you start to understand how you modify these biomarkers within uh, a, cell, a stem cells derived environment? Those are all questions that are in the drug development are very important. And then can reverberate again in drug discovery as well. No? So that's uh, how, which are the targets that you want to eat? Are you eating the right target? Uh, and is the, this cells derived by the, the, the patients helping you in understanding the molecular pathway that you want to target? There are different aspects that are different level. But at the moment, I think it's much more in drug development and the use of the stem cells. It will come also back to drug discovery, of course. Actually, uh, we are at the end of our interview, as far as I can tell. I haven't taken any more questions on my sheet yet. Thank mm -hmm. you so much for your time. I really enjoyed our conversation. I was fascinated by your exciting and engaging explanations about the drug discovery process, the cell models, and the use of artificial intelligence in pharmaceutical research. Um, mm -hmm. I wish you a good day and a successful week, Virginia. You're welcome.
I also wish our listeners and viewers a good day. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed our conversation. Goodbye to everybody. Then, have a good day. Bye.